1: Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen.
2: Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek
1: I'm Pat Levin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea news. And guess what? Fresh off of vacation, Nick, we have Matt Law back once again joining us to drop some, some tasty Chelsea morsels with us. So, uh, Matt, happy to have you back off of holiday. And uh, how are you feeling?
2: Hi, uh, Yeah, I, well, I was feeling refreshed, but I've had a busy couple of weeks since I've been back from holiday. <laughs> We've had Kai Havertz keeping me busy. Um, I have to cover the England national football team as well. So the less said about that, the better. But let's just say that's kept me very busy the last 24 hours.
1: Yeah, no, no, no surprise there. Well, hey, on this episode today, it is jam-packed. We're going to go through some of the incoming transfers that are rumored to be linked to the club. Obviously, a goalkeeper in uh, Edouard Mendy, who's looking very likely what the status is of Declan Rice. We're going to talk about any of the outgoing deals. What maybe had a landing spot for a couple of key players who are looking for a new home? And then just maybe some general thoughts around how Chelsea are looking to approach the season ahead. But Matt, we want to jump right in on what looks like it's going to be the hottest news, which is a true challenger for Kepa coming into the club from Ren with Eduardo Mendy. You reported just recently that about 18 million pounds should get the deal across the line. And he has the approval of Cech and Lalašan, I guess, Maybe because we kind of maybe, A, do you feel that deal is really close to being done? And if so, was that just a very recent development? Or how long have the club been tracking him as, a, as an option?
2: Uh, the, the club have been tracking him, I think, since last season. I think um, Czech and Lolly Sean, have been looking at, at various options for a while. And he's clearly one with their Ren connection that they'd know an awful lot about. Um, in terms of how, I'm told it's actually been close for a, for a good week or so now um I don't think there's a lot to do on it I just think it was a case of they were getting Havertz done there's probably a few little bits and bobs to sort out but I think this one's been in the pipeline now for a little while probably since I I went on vacation a few weeks ago so um yeah it, it's it's looking like the one and the the really interesting thing for me is that this is this is Petr Cech's choice I mean obviously Lampard gives his approval it's joined up thinking but from what I'm told, Lampard was happy to put his faith and trust in check for the, for the goalkeeper. Um, I think different options were brought to the table with different, obviously different values and budgets. Um, but in terms of what Chelsea wanted to spend and in terms of the proportion of their full budget that they wanted to end up putting on a goalkeeper, um, this is, this is Czech's guy and there's probably no better person to have to choose the goalkeeper, I'd suggest. Yeah, no, no wonder
3: Frank was willing to put his trust uh, in one Petr Cech. Uh I, I think everyone's immediate question, Matt, is uh, what does this mean for Kepa? I mean, there's been, uh, I think Patercheck has come out in recent weeks and said that he, you know, he wants to see him, uh, Kepa succeed and that he, you know, hopefully will stay and fight for his place and that there there is a true goalkeeper on goalkeeper battle uh, this season. Is that what you're kind of hearing?
2: Well, look. I think it will become a little bit clearer once the Mendy signature is fully complete. I mean, Kepper's people, I've been talking to Kepper's people the last week and Kepper's people are adamant that he is happy to stay and fight um, and that he actually would relish the, the competition. So I think from his perspective, I would be surprised if it prompts um, any sort of request to leave from his side there hasn't been really any interest in him. I mean, we we spoke about this the last pod I did with you because of the COVID and the the financial impact and because he's the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. I mean, he's very, very, very difficult to get out. Um, The fact as well that Chelsea ended up deciding rather than going for an Oblak or a very, very expensive goalkeeper would suggest that they... Think there is an extremely good chance that Kepa will stay and that it will be a battle for the number one otherwise I think if they really thought that they could get rid of him or that they were really going to try and push him out they might have gone for a more expensive goalkeeper um, so look at the moment it's hard to give you a definitive on that but I, I if you were to ask my opinion my opinion will be is that both both goalkeepers will certainly be there for the first part of the season and that, that Mendy probably will start as number one, but there will be a battle there. And look, Kepa's people are ultra positive about, about him wanting to stay at, at Chelsea at the moment. And they also actually, funnily enough, talk well of how, how Frank has tried to handle the situation um, mm. in that he dropped him, he brought him back, so he offered him another chance. He didn't just drop him and then leave him out. And also I'm told that Frank has been sympathetic to the fact that, you know, Kepper recognizes that his form and confidence was in a bad place. And I think they have spoken. I don't think the relationship has broken down there. Yeah.
1: So it seems like the other thing that might be happening is, you know, we now have an option where we've gone in with a more affordable keeper in Mendy gives us the option to potentially have a Kepa rebound. But do you think the club is also viewing this with an eye on potentially the next summer when you know someone like Donnarumma comes up at the end of his Milan contract where there may be some better options available if Mendy doesn't pan out, if Kepa doesn't improve, that we're keeping ourselves or keeping the options open for next summer too?
2: Yeah, it, it keeps the door open, doesn't it? It, it means that Chelsea aren't, haven't put themselves in an even more difficult position if, as you say, an opportunity to sign one of the really top goalkeepers in the world comes up, or if Mendy doesn't quite work out and he's not quite um, the class they were hoping for, look, I think I think they'll be signing Mendy because of the Czech Lollyshon recommendation, and because they clearly feel he can. I think at the moment they are signing him, thinking he can step up, and a bit like you know, a bit like Czech was in a way, although Czech, Czech was younger. Um, not come as a renowned world number one goalkeeper, but but build into that. I think that's what they're signing Mendy for, but it does keep the, the option there. I mean, th- there's no way they can get an Oblak or a Donnarumma or someone this summer, I don't think, with, with the budgets and everything else they want to do. So if that opportunity arises then this time next year, then they can still look at it and, and still potentially do it. Is is the Mendy
3: deal, at least from what you're hearing mostly about having someone with different attributes to what our current goalkeepers have, or is it completely just, we we have a another option that is a a competitor for, for the shirt.
2: They wanted a tall goalkeeper. I know that. And that sounds really (laughs) obvious. That sounds such a simple, obvious thing for a goalkeeper. It sounds like the kind of thing my five-year-old son could say, but, um, because of the problems they had on set pieces and, their two most successful recent goalkeepers, Czech and Courta, are, are very tall goalkeepers. Both sort of mm-hmm. six foot four, six foot five. You know, um, I think Lampard, having played with Czech values um, having a tall goalkeeper. I think Czech and Lollishon recognise that because of the problems on set pieces, they they do need someone who they believe can come off the line and and dominate their their area, which I think everyone would agree is is not Keppa's strongest point um look i'll be totally honest i haven't seen a lot of mendy i've I've, in the last two days i've spoken to people both on the chelsea side and and in france who have seen an awful lot of him they tell me he's he's good with his feet that he can distribute the ball well um which they definitely need because the style of football that they play so i think he does bring something different i'm told he's a good lad i'm told he's a confident lad um so i think from the height perspective he definitely brings something something different for them and something both through their defense and the, the goalkeeper last season, they were really struggling on.
1: So the other hot league. <laughs> Hotly linked name is uh, not just a type of food, but one, Declan Rice. uh, Mm. After we completed a bit of a smash and grab of the German market, picking up Havertz and Werner, Declan Rice is the name that's been on everybody's mind. West Ham started to make some interesting player sales, even getting called out by Mark Noble on Twitter for Mm. selling some future players that uh, they would have liked to maybe keep at West Ham. What's your sense? Last time we talked, we thought that Declan... You said Declan would be a Chelsea player at some point, but yeah. maybe not this window. Is it maybe moving to a place where this window is looking more likely now than it did the last time we spoke?
2: They'll try and do it this window. They will try and do it this window if they can. I mean, Frank Frank um, wants a new defensive midfielder. Um, I think that's pretty clear, and and he's his top target. And I think probably, as I said last time, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that Declan Rice would like to return to Chelsea. Um, I think they will try and do it. I think, I think that the reason almost it's been left till last is I think it is probably the most difficult of all of them. He's on a long contract. West Ham would need big, big money. Um, he's not. He'd probably, even though he'd like to return to Chelsea because of the way he is at West Ham, I don't see him particularly forcing it. So it's a difficult one to do, but I think they will 100% try. And I do think that once the Mendy... Look, the, all my information lately... And the, the, it hasn't quite fallen how I thought because I actually thought Havertz would get, would get completed a little bit quicker than it did. But um, all my information has been that now that once this goalkeeper one is over the line, it's kind of Operation Rice and see if they can get him. They've got kind of, let's see, what's the date today? We're talking on the 8th of September. So they've got pretty much a month to have a go at this. Um, and they'll certainly give it a couple of weeks, I'd imagine, before they start considering whether they go for another target if they can't do it or whether they're prepared to wait. Um But I stand by, I stand by my, my sort of statement that as long as Frank Lampard's head coach at, at Chelsea, then I do think when Declan Rice leaves West Ham, it will be for Chelsea, whether it be this summer or next summer.
3: So let's, let's talk about Declan Rice for a second and what that would mean for the side. If he came in, is this a signifier to you, Matt, that there's a problem at CDM or is this mostly a strength and depth option in an incredibly congested uh, schedule this year.
2: Yeah, so I, I can give you a little bit of insight into the midfield that I've only come across myself the last couple of days, which I, I find interesting because I I was finding it difficult to um, to understand really why there is such a hard desire to bring in a defensive midfielder and, and potentially Declan Rice. Um, so from from what I'm told. That, Lampard and Chelsea are extremely happy with the talent they have in midfield, but they, they feel in that centre position, and particularly defensively, the mix hasn't been quite right. So, for instance, Kovacic and, and Jorginho. Um, Kovacic had a great season last season, but I think there's a feeling that the two of them, uh, when they're playing the three together, don't actually play bring out the best in each other defensively. Um, I think it, they, they think that when Kovacic and Jorginho are in the same team, it leaves holes. Um, Similarly, I think um, the the difficulty with Kovacic and Kante becomes is that they're both very quiet. So while very talented, I don't think there's a lot of talking in there. And I I definitely have noticed that since restart. I was very interested in being able to watch matches with no crowd. Um, And I was astonished at how quiet Chelsea were. I mean, funnily enough, Kepa's quite vocal. and Aspilicueta and Rudiger can be vocal, but certainly in the midfield, very, very quiet. So I think they want to get the mix right, and I think they feel that the mix going forward is good, um, but the mix defensively is not quite right in that, that midfield, and they need someone who they feel can come in and, and provide a partner. I know they don't play in a two, but almost provide a partner to either a Kante or a Kovacic who can just solidify things and make them a bit tactically better when not in possession. Um, so I believe that's where the desire comes. They, they think Declan Rice can definitely fulfil that role. I think there are other people that they're looking at too. Um, Sumare is one that Frank actually admitted last season that he he liked. Um, Brozovic uh, into Milan, I think, has been looked at before. So there are others, but regardless of the names, they're very keen to to get someone who tactically they feel can fit in to what Frank wants to do forward, but but also for when they're, they're not in possession and they don't quite feel with the people they have there that they, they have that option at the moment.
1: You know, we, we did see N'Golo Kante shift back into that position at some points later in the season. Is he being viewed as an option for that spot? Or do you think the way that they're looking at the midfield construction is that they don't view N'Golo Conte fulfilling that defensive midfielder role for the season ahead?
2: Yeah, I, I think... Look, I think they, they are looking at him for that. He did well when he was, he was put back there after the restart. Um, and I, I just think that they don't feel they've quite got the right uh, mix around him. The other problem you do have with Kante at the moment, which, which I know is an issue, is that we've now had two seasons where he's had quite a lot of injury problems um, and he's 29. And you, I don't think, Given the last two seasons, that you can take the risk of going into a season thinking that you can get a full season out of Kante without any layoffs because just through maybe overplaying for for three or four years before that, and both for France and and for Leicester and then Chelsea, I I think there is a fear that he's always going to have slight fitness issues. And I also think the club are aware of the fact that that is slightly their fault because. They have pushed, I mean, Sari in his last year to, to get that Europa League win, I mean, quite frankly, was reckless with his fitness. Um, and it set, set Kante back a lot. I mean, it, it got Sari what he needed. They got their league position and they got Europa League, but it set Kante back quite a long way. And I, I think there's also a recognition at the club that they can't keep asking Kante to, to do that because his body will break down.
3: So do you see the... The season ahead for Conte to be one more filled with rotation, and if so, then that kind of answers the question of how Declan Rice fits into the mix, right?
2: Yeah, I mean it will depend on whether Chelsea can get in Declan Rice or someone else. I mean, if they can't, Conte to start with will have to play a lot of games. But I think they will be, will be, and have been more careful with him um, than, than certainly they were in the Sarri years and maybe the Conte years, where he was just asked to play. You know, if he was fifty percent fit, he was asked to play. Um, it's a difficult one. I, if if they signed Rice or another one, I don't. I obviously don't quite know how it would work out. But clearly, mm. Frank has a plan for that. the The interesting thing with Rice, obviously, is that um, because he can play in defence as well. And even though they signed Thiago Silva, I know the next phase, the next phase of the plan, if they get a defensive midfielder in for this window is to then in future windows start looking towards getting a dominant centre-back. Um, right, Thiago Silva gives them a, a bit of a stopgap, but Rice coming in would almost, you know, give them an option in, in both of those places and potentially mean they don't actually have to sign two players. They can just sign one player.
1: So is your thought then that if it's looking like Rice isn't going to come in, that they will make a quick move to try to pick up like Somare or Brozovic from from Inter? Do you, th- do you kind of think that that is the they'll give rice a good two or three weeks and if not we'll see a pretty quick move to land one of those two players as a immediate fix for the the coming season.
2: Yeah, so so I mean Frank's worried about this defensive midfield position. So I I I think there's a good chance that if they couldn't get Rice, he will look elsewhere rather than just hold out for Rice because I think he is concerned that without sorting out this this midfield mix that it will continue to cost them um but as I say, because Rice can fulfill two positions, that wouldn't at all mean that they couldn't go for Rice in the future. A
3: quick follow on N'Golo Kante, because I think there, there's been uh, some reporting, some rumors out there that Chelsea could look to potentially sell him. Are you are you seeing any of that uh, on your end?
2: Frank's been very clear that he he doesn't want to sell Kante publicly. And Frank's usually pretty straight on the record. He's, he's quite an open book to read. Um, when he When he talks about transfers, but i part of me i 've heard little whispers that, that that potentially were were something to come up that Kante fancied, and were the money right, then it would it would provoke a discussion because he 's twenty nine um, because of his injury problems, because they did a, a contract with him that made him probably one of the highest earners at the club, if not the highest earner at the club. I think there would be a discussion. I I, I wouldn't fully, I'd be surprised to, but I wouldn't fully rule it out. All
1: right, we're going to take a quick break. We've kind of talked about some of the incoming pieces. Now we want to kind of go to the outgoing, who's going to go on loan, what some of those transfers outgoing are going to look like, and some general Chelsea conversation. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right. So, Matt, the other side of the equation is who is going out because we've brought in all this wonderful talent. And now Chelsea need to make a little space both on the wage bill and then both on trimming down the size of the roster. Uh, So it it seems like and maybe just structurally that we're going to see a lot of loans versus sales just the way that the, the market is moving. Is that the sense that you're getting that Chelsea are struggling to find buyers outright and are having to settle for like the loan with an option to buy?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the, because of the way the market is, the, they're going to struggle to get the valuations that they would want on their players. It, it's not a good it's not a good year to sell players, put it that way, because trying to get the big valuations that, that Marina is so good at getting is is even more difficult than normal. So it would make sense to loan um, and, and try and sell in a better, better period when the, the market is healthier. So I can definitely see that, yeah. And also, there were loan res- there was restrictions on the loans going to come in for this summer, but I think they've been relaxed because of the, the situation with COVID and everything. So again, it's probably the last chance, again, to, to really take advantage of that loan market to try and help drive sales. So look, they will sell some players, but I would expect an awful lot of loans. And you know, keeping up with the players going out is going to be really difficult, quite frankly. There's going to be a lot. And and there's going to be a lot of funny little deals here and there.
1: You'll be quite busy, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
2: I've got to say, because I I can't dedicate 100% of my time to reporting on Chelsea, sadly. Um, I have to report on other things as well. I tend to these days concentrate on the incoming and only ever get involved in the big outgoings if there's a big sale. The loans of the the Zappacostas and the Baba Ramans of this world, I'll I'll let other people report on because I don't have enough hours in the day.
3: So our, our first one, though, is, has been pretty well reported at this point, Yoko back to AC Milan, um, it seems like that is relatively likely to go through loan plus buy option, right?
2: Yeah, if they can get the loan plus buy agreements, they like those because obviously it, it gives them some security if the loan doesn't go too well. Um, Bakayoko did well at AC Milan a couple of years ago. He seemed to like it there um the ex arsenal chief executive ivan gazidez is at ac milan and weirdly i think there's quite a good relationship between him and him and the club so i that that ticks a lot of boxes you would expect that one to happen i think just before i came on this show is pretty, pretty much confirmed that batch is going back to crystal palace on loan he's going to sign a one-year extension just to give chelsea some security over getting a fee at the end of his contract but he will he will go back on their own. That looks sensible because that's somewhere he did well. So you would imagine that he will be comfortable there, um, and you would hope though Chelsea would hope that he can just do enough there to, to get his value back up. So that's sensible. Ethan Ampadu last night. Uh, I think that's a really interesting loan. Sheffield yeah. United. Um, I've been told by a lot of people, both inside and outside Chelsea, that Ethan Ampadu is looking really good. Um, that physically he's developed a lot his year in Germany has done him well. Clearly, Chelsea still rate him highly, um, but clearly he was going to struggle to get too many minutes in, in Frank's team this season. So that looks a great loan going to Sheffield United, working under Chris Wilder, getting Premier League experience. It looks really yeah. good for him on that.
1: Another one, so there, there had been the initial links that, a, you know, Conor Gallagher might have a move to Crystal Palace, obviously with Mishi going there kind of blocks him. What's your sense that he'll land up and end up in a Premier League loan and Leeds is another one that's been connected as well.
2: Yeah, he he will end up at a Premier League club. I, I think there's an awful lot of Premier League clubs who who have been showing an interest in him because he did so well um, when he was on on loan last season. Um, so yeah, he, he will 100% get a Premier League loan. I think he'll have a choice of a few. Um, the, the, the fact he's been to to Charleston for half a season, I think he was, was it, was it half a season or a whole season at Charleston? Mm-hmm. He did well at Charlton. He obviously fancied going to Crystal Palace, which suggested quite like to stay stay around London, uh, if if at all possible. But uh, yeah, he'll be really interesting. I hope he, he does get somewhere in the Premier League where he plays a lot, because I'm I'm quite looking forward to trying to watch a bit more of him.
3: One of the one of the more puzzling ones to us has been the Fakayo Tamori story. Um, this is a a guy who. Uh, when he was partnered with Zuma, was the most successful centre-back partnership last season, statistically, for for the club. So can you maybe talk a little bit about what's going on with him going from kind of
2: cemented first team to potentially loaned out? Yeah, I think it surprised Tamori as well, actually. I think, I think he's been surprised at the fact that his opportunities at the end of, end of last season were, were so limited. He did have injuries. He had time out with injuries, which definitely... Um, set him back in the pecking order and, and set him back progress-wise. Um, but I think he hoped that come towards the end of the season when he was fit that he, he would play a little bit more and be part but part of that rotation because that back four, back three was rotating an awful lot and I think it probably surprised him that he wasn't getting so much of a go there. Frank Frank and Jodie Morris and everybody at Chelsea just see it as part of the development. I think they probably thought that more of these Chelsea, Chelsea young players would actually follow the path of tamori a bit more rather than managing to just stay in the whole team and and that, that's getting in the team and doing very well and then maybe dropping out and finding it a little bit tougher again when it levels out um i still think he's probably ahead of schedule this time last year they were thinking about either selling or loaning tamori and probably didn't see him making quite the impact on the first team um and circumstances ended up sort of more than the other kids, I think. I think the plan was always that, that Mason Mount was going to come into the team, that Tammy Abraham would, would get a go. I think probably more the plan with, with Fikayo at one stage was to loan him out and get him experience, and then that the plans changed through circumstance. So I don't think any, it's any sort of black mark against him in terms of his Chelsea future or, or what he's been doing. I think it's thought to be part more of the development. But he needs a Premier League loan now. I mean, having broken into the England squad, and, and progressed as he did, and then had a quiet kind of six months at second half of the season. He now needs a Premier
1: League loan. Well, and if we're ruling out Crystal Palace with Mishi, if we're ruling out you know, potentially a, a, a Leeds with uh, Conor Gallagher, if we're ruling out a Sheffield with Ampadu, we're, we're kind of you know, starting to whittle down the number of clubs who would be available for a Premier League loan. Is there a spot you could see Fakaio reasonably going
2: I doubt it now. I mean, this time last year, Everton were interested in him. I doubt it now, because Ancelotti's gone in, and Everton's sort of uh, transfer policy has changed a little bit with that. Look, there are a lot of overseas clubs interested in Tamori as well. He's a very intelligent lad, too. So I should have corrected myself earlier when I, I said about needing a Premier League loan. He needs a first-team loan where he's playing in a, in a top European division it's probably more accurate. Um, I know, I mean, funnily enough, I know Wren were, were interested in him. So, whether there's something going on there in terms of who might be able to go to Wren as, as part of bringing the, the Mendy price down, you never know. Um, there's German interest in him, there's French interest in him, there's interest from Premier League clubs. I don't exactly know which ones, if I'll be totally honest with you. I haven't followed that up recently. Um, yeah. He will get a loan and he'll be playing in one of the the, the top European divisions if it, if it isn't the Premier League. Like you say, though, the, the rules make it difficult. I mean, Chelsea have got so many players going on loan that, you know, every deal blocks off. When, when it's in England, every deal blocks off another one. So it, it is complicated. I don't think Marina Granovsky has had any days off or, or much time off in the summer, let's put it that way.
3: Uh, that's, uh, that's fair to her. Following up on the centre-back position, because this is another one where we thought there could be some movement this summer... Uh, Tiago Silva comes in, which means that obviously if Tamori goes out, that, that's kind of a one for one swap. But are you hearing anything on Christensen or Rudiger? Uh, they kind of seem to be at a pivotal point in their Chelsea careers. Uh, is this kind of the last dance uh, in terms of w- figuring out which one kind of moves forward, or do they both have bright futures?
2: Um, I think this is my theory. I haven't had information on this. This is let's say, slightly informed theory from from people I've talked to, but certainly not information I've had recently. I think in another summer, in different times, um, Rüdiger, Zuma, or, or Christensen, or even two of them, would have been sold. Um, I think there are doubts about them all, and I don't think that anyone thinks that the, the mix between them is right, and that was clear last season. Um, Rüdiger's a big character, but... In terms of style, there's not really a dominant centre back back there. They need a dominant centre back. Um, so look, I think they're all. I think they're all playing for their futures. I think all the centre backs are playing for their futures because I don't think there's any certainty over over any of them. Um, Christensen, I think the club has always feared that were they to sell him, they could be find themselves in a in a De Bruyne or Salah's situation, that he, he would go abroad, probably do better than he does in the Premier League, as we saw in Germany, because in a less physical league, and then I think he would flourish. And then you could easily find that, that a year playing like that really kicks his career on. So I think they've got a difficult decision on Christensen. He's a tricky one. Um, Rüdiger, again, age, injuries count against him in terms of long-term future. Um, Even though his personality and obviously his talent, you know, you wouldn't give that up easily. But I think he's probably now coming to the twilight of his Chelsea career almost. Um, I think him, him, Zuma, Christensen, all playing for their futures, all very much playing for their futures.
1: So before we end this episode, we're going to get through some kind of just initial Chelsea chatter going on at the moment. Uh, I think one thing that's on everybody's mind, especially, uh, is the recovery of some key, you know, a key new signing and then a player who ended the season in really, really fine form. Do you have a sense on the status of Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic, where they're at in their recoveries and uh, when we might see them? Like, is Ziyech potentially in consideration for game week one? (laughs) Um,
2: I think ziesch might struggle for the first game. I think he he is carrying an injury. Um I think he might find it difficult to play that that first game. He might be on the bench. I'm not saying he won't be part of the squad, but from what I hear, he's he's got a bit of making up to do for that that first game. So there's every chance. I mean, in actual fact, Chelsea I've got a few issues looking forward to the first coming against Brighton. Chilwell I think is out for a couple of weeks. I don't think there's any chance of him playing. Brighton. Um Thiago Silva has been having to quarantine um because of obviously coming from from Brazil and 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 everything and then over from France. So he I, I don't think I think there's a chance that he can't be involved against Brighton unless they're they're willing to throw him in with with very little training with the team and the squad. Havertz, we know, will only have really a week training with the team, so he he might have to have a slow start. I think expectation on him to start with needs to be tempered a little bit. I think people need to give him time. Um, yep. Physically, he's going to be a little bit behind uh, of the stages. So they've got some issues looking forward to that first game for sure. Um, what I am told is that Werner is looking incredible. Um and you know, if you're picking your fantasy teams now, I've put Werner in my fantasy team because so I'm expect, I'm expecting a fast start from Werner. So let's see. But um, yeah, there's there's issues there, fitness wise, for them. And and of course, we know it's been it's been publicised that some of the English lads as well, you know, Tammy Mason, Mountain people have, have you know, they've had they've had COVID. They've had to quarantine. They've had COVID after their holidays. Um, so physically, they they haven't all been in the best shape this summer.
1: So I think another one that uh, would be kind of worth just going through is there There hasn't been official confirmation yet, but squad numbers are something that fans That's get excited true. about, even though the players may not be <laughs> care as much about that as winning a match. Uh, any sense in terms of where the numbers might settle? I think especially from our American, yeah, mostly American audience, that uh, a Christian Pulisic 10 is something that would be very exciting uh, in addition to maybe does Timo get his 11, does Hakim get his uh, 22, and does Havertz maybe get his 29?
2: You've stumped me there. You have really stumped me on <laughs> shirt numbers. Shirt numbers, I'm going to have to go away and do my homework on shirt numbers. It's, it's not something I'm very good at. I think... I'd be very surprised if Ferner didn't get his number 11. Um, that, that's the shirt he's, he's worn with success, and it's, it's obviously available and, and easy to, to pass on. So I would be extremely surprised if Ferner didn't get his number 11. On the others, quite frankly, I have no idea. I'll be completely honest with you. I, I don't follow the shirt numbers things at all. I mean, you've only just made me think that the, the, the 10 is free, obviously, and, and who takes the 10? Callum Hudson joy this time last year wanted the 10, but I, I would be surprised if he got the 10 just from the way things have panned out the last year or so for, for him. So I don't know. Let's see. Let's see.
3: <laughs> Matt, are there are there any other transfer rumors, any other tasty nuggets that you have um, in, in in your locker that you're you're looking to share out at this point? I know that we're we're kind of coming to the end of this episode, so I wanted Give a little teaser, a little sneak peek for our
2: for our audience. I, I think in terms of what with what Chelsea want to do this window, I think it's it's well known. I think the exciting thing for Chelsea fans is that for Frank Lampard, this is phase one. Um, you know, they've signed seven players so far, and he's hoping to take it to eight or nine players. Albeit Malang Sarr will go out on loan, but so it's a massive transition. But it's phase one. You know there is a phase two plan as well. There's a there's a phase two behind this in that, like I say, down the line probably a, a dominant centre half, if not maybe two centre halves. Um, there'll be other areas that they're still looking at. Maybe another wide man. They'll see how things go with a wide man, or maybe sort of a, a more traditional striker, should we say? Depending on how- the there's, there's big plans afoot for future transfer windows. What I think they wanted to do this year, they wanted to get as many as they could in, um, with a chance of having some preseason, which they've done well on, and that they've done to set them well for this this summer. And and I think they would prefer not to have to do much, if if anything, in January, because I I think I mean Giroud worked very well for them in in January, but I I think they like most clubs they don't want to have to do much in january and they, they've put themselves in a position in a lot of windows recently where they've been scratching around having to try and do do things in january to, to almost rescue the season or, or keep the season going and they they really wanted to avoid that so they're in a good place for phase one but there is a phase two
3: so we're in the we're in phase we're, we're moving into phase two of the chelsea cinematic universe i'm very excited <laughs> about this it's gonna be great um
1: you know, the, uh, one last thing before we get you out of here, Matt, is, you know, every transfer has spoken about the impact of Frank Lampard in the conversations. What's your sense on how he's going to be setting up this lineup now with so many attacking talents, with mm. so many players talking about, you know, the the where they might play? You know, do you have a sense on what, where Werner fits, where, where, um... Havertz is going to fit. Uh, Hockham is going to fit. Pulisic is going to fit. Does, is there any sense on how the club is going to be setting that up?
2: It'll be really interesting. Look, I think, I think Werner will be um, the central striker to start with. Um, albeit, I think the, the front three could end up being a lot more fluid than, it, than it's been rather than having one specific striker. A bit like, I'm, I'm really not comparing. I'm trying not to say that they're going to copy Liverpool because they're not. But, just in terms of having a fluidity whereby, you know, your main goal scorer isn't always through the middle. And, and, and I think there's going to be fluidity there. Havertz is really interesting because I think he's got a bit of catching up to do physically um, just for the Premier League. He's tall guy, but he's a slight guy. And I think they, they feel physically and tactically in terms of defensively, they've got a bit of work to do with him. I, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Havertz plays... Plays wide a little bit to start with, um, just whereby it gives him a bit of a break defensively and physically rather than, I think, you know, in, in time he will be through the middle. And I might be wrong. He might start through the middle, but I, I, I've been looking at that one wondering whether he could play. I know he can play right right side and I wonder whether he might uh, dovetail a little bit with Ziyech to start with while those two settle in. Um, it's going to be really interesting. Pulisic will start on the left, you know, Pulisic is fit given the finish. He, he, he's got that shirt at the moment, the left side of that front three is, is Pulisic's to start with and then there'll be competition there for him. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really going to be interesting. They're not, they're not all going to, certainly in, in terms of Zh. you know, Ziyech may well end up coming off the bench sometimes as well, you know, I don't think there's any certainties for any of them. Even Havertz. Havertz might start the first month mainly coming off the bench because of catching up with everybody. Um it's the, the forward line is is so exciting and so interesting to see how that shakes down. And I don't think even in the first three months of the the, the season we will necessarily know who for the future has got which shirts i think there's going to be a lot of changing around to start with
3: have you heard anything on christian's injury i think that's the one injury we didn't touch on of of the many uh, on the on the bench
2: yeah i think they're hoping that pulisic will be okay um i think they're hoping that he he will start the season in terms of where his fitness is i'm not sure he's another one who's had to quarantine who's um had issues with coming back and, and coronavirus quarantine and so I don't think necessarily the injury is the biggest concern with him but like a lot of them he's missed some training because of having to quarantine i i personally think he will probably start the season i I, will be honest if you're asking me how fit he is i i don't know at the moment we'll know better this time next week we'll probably be speaking to uh well i'll be speaking to frank on thursday or friday actually so so yeah (laughs) we'll we'll know then
1: well, everyone will be following your updates religiously as a Chelsea supporter is want to do. So, Matt, we appreciate another update, another Matt Law special on the London is Blue podcast. Uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and uh, yeah, thank you for back- coming back on again.
2: Thanks, guys. Look forward to it.
1: Yeah, uh, Nick, pleasure as always. Uh, and then until next time, Chelsea fans. Premier League football is back this week. Keep the blue flag flying high.